You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox. Welcome to With Friends Like These. We've talked to a lot of people on this show about the problem of mass incarceration. We're about to drop in a big missing piece in that conversation. The voice of a formerly incarcerated person. A very special one at that. Ruby Welch is a restorative justice activist and the founder and executive director of Felon, formerly incarcerated empowered leaders overcoming negative stigmas, which is a hell of an acronym. As an activist, she helped put in place an Arkansas ban on the shackling of women during pregnancy and child labor, which should not be a big deal, but it is. I loved talking to her. She's a true force of nature and she's coming right up. Ruby, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ms. Anne-Marie. Glad you uh, invited me. So I want to start a little bit differently than I usually do. Uh, I want to ask how you would like to be introduced. Who are you now? How do you want people to know you? <laughs> Who am I now? Um, I am Ruby Annette Carter-Welch, daughter of Glenn Edward Carter, Rita Carter, uh, sister of nine brothers and sisters, auntie, grandma, stepmom, um, lover of the universe, advocate, fighter for uh, criminal and restorative justice rights. I mean, I'm just who I was created to be. And I love that. I love that introduction. And if and the reason I asked you is because. I think one of the important things that your activism does is remind people that the most important thing about someone isn't whether or not they were formerly incarcerated, right? Exactly. That's not the most important thing about you. I would say being the person that the universe created you to be is probably the most important thing about you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that said, you are a formerly incarcerated person. Yes, ma'am. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how that came to be? Uh, one thing that I always try to tell people is hurting people hurt people. Mm -hmm. um, and I just found myself lost uh, in my later 30s and started selling um, drugs, um, which uh, led to me um, getting convicted to with a 30-year sentence here in the state of Arkansas for less than 12 grams of crack cocaine. I served seven years, five months, and six days of that 30-year sentence. But, um, Six months after prison has been murdered. And so 
I like to tell people that um, I needed every one of those seven years because it was in prison that I found my freedom because um, I was able to get back to who who we was and find out what had led me down the road of destruction. So today I sit before you in 2021, knowing that in 1996, I committed a crime, but in 2021, I'm not a criminal. So you did serve your time. I'm curious about whether or not you were aware at the time of the injustice of your sentence. Because we all kind of know people who are interested in criminal justice reform now know that the cocaine possession laws have been <laughs> uh, very unfair. No, no I, I was not aware of the severity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and in fact, Miss Anna Marie, if I'm going to be totally transparent, um, yes, I sold drugs, but I didn't sell drugs while I laid my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had some gentlemen that were in my house at the time playing dominoes. I was actually in my bedroom sleep mm-hmm. and they threw, they threw their drugs on my floor. And so, uh, my house, uh, my drugs, it's nine tenths of the law. So, mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't aware, um, that it was going to be so severe because <clears throat> in fact, not even, Ooh, I want to say like 10 years before, maybe nine or 10 years before um, I had some people at my house and um, they found uh, powder, just some residue on a plate and they put me on probation and I I didn't have the slide. I couldn't understand that. So they actually enhanced my sentence um, when I got caught with the less than 12 grams also. And no matter what I told them that, you know, I've never been a drug user. My, my husband was addicted to drugs. Um, Quite a few of my family members were addicted to drugs who came over to my house and got high because I was everybody's safe place. Um, but I never thought that it would lead to me having to serve seven years in prison. And mind you, I've been home from prison 15 years since August the 31st, and I'm still on parole. So I'm still not free. <sighs> so you you did speak so generously about about the time that you served and how it shaped you and therefore you found value in it. But I am curious, like, when did you start to realize that there was this systemic problem that you were caught in, this injustice that you were in the, in these wheels of injustice, let's say, like you were stuck in there. When did that happen? Uh, immediately upon hitting the compound uh, <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in Newport, <laughs> no, for real, uh, it, it was, it was like immediate, um, First, for, immediately, I'm going to tell you, first of all, in county jail, I realized um, that um, it, it was systemic. I mean, the racism, um, you could tell the way, you know, Caucasians were being treated as far as black women. Um, I had a toothache uh, and I realized that uh, I couldn't get my tooth pulled unless somebody gave me some money and I had to pay for my own medical help. So I thought, well, if I'm a ward of the state, why am I paying for my own health care? Because if I was at home, I would, I'd have insurance and take care of it. But, um, and then when I got to, um, as we call the big house in Newport to the actual prison compound, um, that's when my eyes were really opened. Um, because I was able to see how the system will always, whenever we had news reporters or, um, 
anybody from television or whatever to come down to the compound. They would always wait till there was like a group of, um, of, of black women gathered together and they would put the camera on us. Mm-hmm. Um, and the crazy thing is, and I'm going to speak transparently if you don't mind, cause I'm, I'm real transparent and blunt. Um, when I, um, went to prison in 1999, the actual numbers were seven white women to every black woman, but you would always see the numbers say that, uh, it was overly populated by black and brown people. Not that it was overly populated is that our sentences were more severe. So I saw a lot of white women constantly coming back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for um, drug use, drug convictions, and asking me, when did I get back? I I never have left. Um, And so I started talking to women and asking them questions. You know, what is it that keeps you coming back? What What are you doing? And that's when I started journaling about how our system uh, if your skin is 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 of a uh, black or brown brown hue, when you go into the the court system, you're already given a life sentence before you even open your mouth. Um, but I've ran into many many um, a Caucasian sisters. In fact, because I, I'm a resource, um, I worked with a young lady that her aunt sent her to me to help her get a job and. She told me she worked at a pharmacy and she was selling drugs out of the pharmacy and she couldn't find a job. And I said, well, um, okay, how much, how much time did you do? And she said, uh, you want me to be honest with you? I said, yeah. She said, I've never seen the inside of a jail. I promise you, Miss Anna Marie, I stood up. I told her, I excused myself. I walked out of the, the room with my phone. I called my prayer partner. I said, you got to pray with me. I said, because... I don't want to help this woman get a job, you know, because here I am looking at a Caucasian woman that was stealing from her employer. And here I was buying my drugs, teaching myself how to cook them and, 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 and sell and make a living, you know, uh, whatever the reason pride of, because I wanted to be grand or whatever, whatever the reason was. But um, I was given a 30-year sentence. Um, And here this woman was saying she had never even seen the inside of a jail. Mm -hmm. I was appalled, but I was more grieved. And as frustrating as that must have been in the moment, obviously it's the system that creates that injustice. I am so glad you prayed for her. That's that's is a beautiful thing that that was your first <laughs> response. Um, so you had this sort of awakening to the injustice right away, and then you proceeded to educate yourself by talking to the women around you, right? Yes. Uh, it sounds like you also had a spiritual journey happening at the same yes. time. I, I've always been spiritual, so. When did that translate into a kind of activism? When, when did it come from, I just want to find out what's happening here to me and my sisters, to I'm going to do something about this? Um, I was fighting to um, try to get a sentence reduction. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went to a couple of the legal beagles um, 
within the uh, prison system, Mary Lee Arsini and Miss Brown. And I said, I need you guys to help me. Uh, I want I want you to help me write up my sentence reduction. And they both looked at me and started laughing. Mary Arsini was Caucasian and Miss Brown was, was an uh, elderly black woman. And they started laughing at me. And I was like, why y'all laughing? So they passed me this big book, a big law book. And they said, we want you to read this because we've watched you and you're intelligent enough. Get yourself out of here. So I picked this book up and I started looking at different cases. Um, And from there, I went to work. I put in an order to work in the law library. And I was able to not only work on my case, but other women's cases. And that's when my activism really, really started. When I started listening to women who I knew shouldn't be in prison. Um, People, women that have been in prison when I was still a child uh, with life sentences. And I'm a firm believer that life should not mean death behind concrete walls. Um, I understand punishment for your crime. But when is punishment enough? You know, to be honest, sometimes I wonder if punishment's even the thing that we need to think. Um, I always like the, the way of thinking about it is people need to be held responsible for their crimes. Yes. That there's a yes. responsibility that needs to be taken. And sometimes that means sacrificing some freedoms in order to, yes. to show. I like that word. I like that word better. Yeah. In order to show that you understand the gravity of what you have done, you might exactly. have to give up some of your freedoms. But as I'm sure you know, we're one of the only countries in the world that really just warehouses people that just, <laughs> there's no. But it's for monetary gain. Exactly. It's not for correction. It's not to uh, bring out better people than you locked up because actually in prison, um, they break you down. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm an empath, so I might cry. Um, I cry all the time on this show. And if you're not strong (laughs) enough... um, to know what's going on. And I guess in the beginning, uh, like the first two years, I wasn't really aware of Miss Anna Marie because like I said, my husband had gotten killed six months before I went into prison. So I was kind of just brain dead. But when the awakening came and I really started looking around, um, our criminal justice system is corrupt um, because you're housing human beings Worse than animals, because at least animals, you know, um, you try to feed your animals the best food. Uh, you make sure that you send, take them to the best veterinarian. Um, you let them go out and run and jump and play in the sun when they, when they desire. Uh, but in prison, everything is intentionally calculated uh, to where... You're locked down a certain amount of times a day. You ha- you have rec uh, call when they say that you can have rec call. You go to eat when they say you go eat. Your lights are turned on when they say t- they're turned on. They're turned off when they start, say to turn them off. So um, all of that freedom is taken from 
So now I don't take anything for granted, uh, not even turning on my light switch. I don't I don't take any of that for granted. And that's the one thing that will always keep me from never, ever uh, going back mm-hmm. is the freedom that's stripped from you. And because of your freedom being stripped, I feel like that's, to me, is punishment enough for your crime. You're taken away from your family, your friends, everything. But when people start breaking you down as a human and start treating you as an animal or or worse than an animal, that's when the correctional facility isn't about correction. Yeah. I was reading up on criminal justice history and I thought I knew my stuff pretty well, but I had never thought about the fact that we call these places correctional facilities because there was a time that that was the idea, at least, that there was this thought that we are going to correct, we're going to rehabilitate, you know, because of market forces and systemic racism, kind of the same thing, uh, they become warehouses and you cannot, it is very difficult to retain your humanity um, and not be broken down. I guess we all retain our humanity, but yes, the pressure, the pressure, it, it, it demands so much from people. It doesn't rehabilitate. It doesn't correct. You know, it just stores. There's just a bunch of people there. And that's, and that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So you did get out. Um, and you are the person that fought for your release. Yes. And how did that work out? Uh, well, honestly, they didn't, they never answered me back from the courts when I went to court. <laughs> 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 well, to be honest with you, I, I never got, um, any paperwork back or, or, or anything back from the court stating because at first, um, it seemed that I was going to have to do half my time, which would have been 15 years. Um, but they never answered me back. And so I, I just went into prayer and I just, I just trusted God. And um, I, I'm a, I'm a numbers person and I'm, I'm, a, I'm my mother's seventh child. Um, and I was born on the seventh day, but I was born in 61 was six plus one equals seven. And when I got to prison, my, um, ADC number, uh, the last four digits is 6416, and 6 plus 4 equals 10. My mom had 10 kids, and 1 plus 6 equals 7. So I looked at it as I had to come through McPherson. Um, and so when I didn't get an answer back after three months, I made it a matter of prayer. And I said, you know, God, I just need you to show me an answer. And one day I was getting ready to do my early Bible reading, and my book opened up to Deuteronomy um, the year of Jubilee, uh, where we talk about after seven years, everything is forgiven. And so I got off, I got off, off, off my knees after my reading and I went to the phone and I called my mom and I said, listen, I need you to fire the attorneys. I, I, need, I need you guys to quit fighting. I need for everything to stop. And she said, why? I said, because I'm going to at least have to do seven years. And this was, I was like maybe three, three and a half years into my time at this time. I said, I'm going to at least have to do seven years. I said, but after seven years, I'm going to be free. 
And she was like, well, oh, okay. <laughs> and, 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 and I, I believe uh, God for uh, the number seven, which means completion. And, and that's what it took. Uh, completion, seven years for me to know that I'm, I had to walk within what I was chosen, which is my calling to fight for other people's rights. It sounds like one of the most important things that a person can have while incarcerated is belief yes. in something. I, I I wouldn't say it necessarily has to be a traditional religion. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I don't care if it's a light bulb. And I tell people that. I said, I don't care if your higher power is a light bulb, but I need you to believe in that light bulb to the point that you know that whatever you ask, you shall receive. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Are you a fellow 12 stepper, Ruby? <laughs> no, look, I've never ever um I, well never ever. I smoked two joints in life. Once okay. when I was 16 and once when I was 24. So I've I've never been an alcoholic. Right. Um, it's just uh, but like I said, my husband um was um a drug user. Right. He was um addicted to drugs. And so when he went through the program, I was going through the program too. Just like when you're incarcerated, you, your family, your friends, uh, everybody's incarcerated with you. So same program. Because uh, that notion of have to believe in something, of course, is really central to, to mm-hmm. the recovery from addiction. Yes. Right. And I can see the parallel about how it would be central to the kind of recovery you need to be practicing with or without having ever had a chemical in your system mm-hmm. while incarcerated. Like yes. you, you need to have that belief that there is a thing, there is something. And, and also you knew that you had a purpose. Yes. And so we should probably talk about that purpose. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I'm actually getting out of you talking about your, your, you know, very, um, like amazing and inspiring spiritual growth. Let's get to what the spiritual growth got you to, which is activism. Yes. What are you doing? What happened when I came out of prison in 2006, you got to remember, um, I was what, 42, 43 year old, black female, no children, husband dead. Um, I was a widow. Um, and there was no Obamacare. Mm. So I didn't have insurance. Um, Housing was being denied. Um, I stayed with one of my sisters, uh, just thankful that I had my cosmetology license. So I was able to go to work with one of my friends in her salon the day after I got out. But um, I wasn't happy. You know, I wasn't I wasn't content um, or joyful. And, I mean, to the point where I was wishing for prison to get back into what I was doing when I was in prison because I was a a character coach uh, in a program called PALS, Principles and Applications for Life. And so I got a phone call from a gentleman here in uh, Little Rock, uh, Reverend um, William Tallette. He was over the Union Rescue Mission Bargain Center, and he offered me a job there. So I came to Little Rock and we were working with men who were in treatment centers. And so I was, I was training these men. Uh, and at the same time, I was watching the way that Reverend Tallette dealt with these men. 
And I told him, that's what I want to do with women. How do I get started? And he said, just go do it. And so <laughs> I just started going to a lot of meetings around Little Rock, um, sitting at a lot of different tables, seeing what they were saying they were doing, um, connecting with uh, different organizations, and then um, getting on Facebook Live and talking about, you know, my desires for formerly incarcerated people and people that were still incarcerated and how we needed to set them free. And I got picked up first by uh, the National Council for Formerly Incarcerated Women and Girls um, out of New York. And so I started flying around with them and they started training me on um, different policies, how, you know, policy one-on-one, um, how we could uh, affect legislature with our voice. Uh, and then a couple of years after that, I got connected with uh, Dream Corps, well, Cut 50 at the time, um, um, for a day of empathy. And I spoke at the first one. And then the next year, they chose me to be their Arkansas uh, ambassador. And so I just really started charging in and bringing a lot of my female friends that uh, I knew that were incarcerated and talking to people about how we can we can be a difference because I didn't think we could because, you know, I felt like in, in prison, we didn't have a say. So um, being home, I didn't feel like we had uh, a lot of say so. But then once I realized there's power in numbers. So if you get a whole bunch of formerly incarcerated women in a room and we start making noise, somebody's going to listen. And that's exactly what uh, Dream Corps um, Justice and Hashtag Cut 50 did for me. They, they allowed me to have a voice to speak what was inside mm -hmm. that nobody was hearing from us because we have all these intellects and politicians saying um, what needs to be done for formerly incarcerated people and incarcerated people. And my question to them is, how do you know? I was just thinking as I was listening to you <laughs> that I think people might assume that activism has to do with going to a to uh, you know Capitol Hill and 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 lobbying or getting signatures or testifying at a hearing, and I know that that is part of it. But what sound, but what sounds like the most impactful thing that you're doing, is listening to people, yourself. And it sounds like the reason why that's so important is it number one. These are people that aren't used to being listened to, right? And I really want you to tell me, but it sounds like it's the way back to humanity for people that have been treated so badly. It is. And it's not only the people that are, are that I deal with um, that are formerly incarcerated. It's the, the family, mm -hmm. the mothers and the children that I also deal with and I have to speak with because I get mothers calling me all the time saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, you know, talk to my son or my daughter. Can you help me out? And I'm like, tell them to call me, you know. And I attempt to explain to them um, that when I came home, there wasn't, um, there, I'm going to say there was 
there was some help, but there was very little help being um, addressed. And especially the help that was addressed by formerly incarcerated people to say, get under my wing, let me show you how to do this. And so that's how I myself um, actually collaborate with people. I, my shared experience with their experience, I just show them how to, like the song say, walk it out. You know, let's, let's just walk it out. Just, you got it, but you got to listen. You can't just do whatever you want to do. Uh, we've broken rules before. So we know how to, we know how to, we know how to break rules. Let's, let's, let's practice on doing the right thing. And it's easier to do the right thing than it is to do the wrong thing. Because uh, when I was doing wrong, I was always looking over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm doing right, I mean, I don't care. Police can come knock on my door right now. I'm going to let them in. Um, I never get nervous. My, in fact, I go into the jails and the prisons and speak. Um, mm-hmm. Because that's my passion. It's my love. I want them to see. What I want to be familiar with. Walk in, everybody's like, oh, who is this woman? And then I tell them, hi, my name is Ruby Welk. And I'm also known to the state of Arkansas as inmate 706-416. And you can hear the sigh of relief because we have a kindred spirit. And then they're like, she understands. And I do. And I listen a lot. Uh, I talk a lot. I love talk. Um, because <laughs> <laughs> You're I a really good talker. Want, so yeah, I, I, I want them to hear. I understand. <laughs> that it's important. And like I said, I'm an empath, a super empath. In fact, um, I, I grieve over um, a lot of women and men that don't know which direction to go in, um, mm-hmm. whether they've been out five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you know, and why some people continuously make prison a revolving door because we don't have enough people saying, I care enough about you. Mm-hmm that I really, really want to listen to what you say. Because sometimes people just need to cry. Um, mm. COVID-19 taught me that um, I put a post on Facebook that if you have a loved one incarcerated to give me a call. And when I tell you my phone rang for weeks and some other mothers and fathers and girlfriends and wives, all I could do was pray and cry with them. And I'm still connected, even though we're coming somewhat out of the uh, epidemic, but just with them knowing that there was someone there that cared makes all the difference in the world. And I didn't have a lot of information for them. Mm. I just listened. Back to activist Ruby Welch in just a minute. With Friends Like These is brought to you by ZocDoc. Has this ever happened to you? You need to see a doctor. You search and find one that looks good. You wait on hold to book an appointment. You rearrange your schedule. And when you finally go in, you find out this doctor doesn't take your insurance. (laughs) There is a solution. Just download the free ZocDoc app the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. With ZocDoc, you can search for local doctors who take your insurance, read verified patient reviews, and book an appointment in person or via video chat. Never wait on hold or talk to a receptionist ever again. Whether you need a primary care physician, a dentist, a dermatologist, psychiatrist, eye doctor, or another specialist, 
ZocDoc has you covered. Go to ZocDoc.com slash friends and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash friends. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Stamps.com. I saw a movie in a theater last week. There were other people in it. I ate an entire tub of popcorn by myself. It was magical. This summer is showing welcoming signs of a more normal life ahead. Finally, you can get back to enjoying life's little pleasures, like smiling at your neighbor and seeing the smile that they give you back, eating inside a restaurant, and going to the post office. Well, Maybe some parts of normal life aren't so great and you're not so eager to welcome them back. But with stamps.com, you can skip trips to the post office and save on postage. Mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. Send letters, ship packages, and pay less, a lot less, with discounted rates from USPS and UPS. Stamps.com saves businesses thousands of hours and tons of money every year. You know what's going to keep me using stamps.com even though I can go to the post office? It is currently, right now, 90 degrees and 90% humidity. Do you have any idea what that kind of humidity does to a person's hair? Limiting your exposure, my exposure to that weather, is a lifestyle choice. It's a lifestyle choice that Stamps.com supports. Stamps.com brings the same U.S. postal and UPS shipping services right to your computer. They make it easy for small businesses to mail and ship without needing to take a trip to the post office. Print official U.S. postage and shipping labels 24-7 without having to leave your desk or buy any fancy equipment. All you need is your computer and a standard printer. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It's that simple. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving nearly 1 million small business owners like you, like me, time and money. They offer deals you can't get anywhere else, like up to 40% off USPS and up to 66% off UPS shipping rates. And with their switch and save feature, you can quickly compare carriers to find the best rates every time. Stop wasting time going to the post office and go to stamps.com instead. There is no risk. With my promo code FRIENDS, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the podcast microphone at the top of the homepage and type in friends. That's stamps.com promo code friends. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. With friends like these is brought to you by Credit Karma. The beginning of any journey can feel daunting. You're not sure you're headed in the right direction, and maybe you don't know exactly what to prepare for. With Credit Karma, you can be more informed about what's ahead. Credit Karma's game-changing technology shows you tailored offers for credit cards and personal loans that you're more likely to be approved for so you can apply with confidence. They use your credit and other financial information to show you custom recommendations. Whether you want cash back, travel rewards, or to consolidate debt, Credit Karma can help you find the offers that fit your goals. With a selection of options and approval odds, you have the power to make informed decisions. Credit Karma. Apply with confidence. Go to creditkarma.com slash podcast to learn more and find offers tailored just for you. That's creditkarma.com slash podcast, or you can see your offers on the Credit Karma app. Apply with confidence today. Go to creditkarma.com slash podcast or get the Credit Karma app. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, 
and Judy Woodruff come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. You're just reminding me that it's one thing for those of us who have never been close to this but who feel like we, we mean well, uh, to talk about the, the system, to talk about policy changes. And those are important, right? Mm-hmm. But that maybe those things can't actually um, be changed that much until we listen to the people that have been through it. That that individual listening, that providing of emotional and spiritual support is one of the ways that we can get to bigger changes. And, and, and Ms. Emma, the reason why I said it, because mostly what people don't even realize. Um, at five years old, I didn't sit up and say, I can't wait till I get grown so I can commit a crime and go to prison. I didn't say that it's six, seven, eight, nineteen. You know, that was not my desire for my future. So uh, my platform, I focus on mostly mental health uh, because I know something happened. And I know when my first something happened, happened, but it took me going to prison and recalling why I am where, where I was, where I was, that at eight years old, I had been molested by a deacon in the church. But I had suppressed it. I didn't tell anybody. And, you know, and I just got angry and angry and angered at the world. And then, you know, at 11, I got burned over 95% of my body, saving my one-year-old baby sister from a stove fire, um, which I wasn't expected to live. And here I am, thank God, I'll be 60 in June. Um, And so, like I said, because of all of these things, I don't take anything for granted when I'm dealing with people's lives. But I don't feel that our legislatures, our policymakers are taking in consideration the crime is not the act. There is something mentally going on with inside these individuals' minds. So why don't we spend enough time working towards correcting mental health instead of correcting crimes that have been committed against society that most people, when they get in prison, don't even know why they did what they did? Because, I mean, I'm still, I didn't have to do what I, I did. I didn't have to do it. But why? Why did I decide to one morning wake up and become a criminal? Why? What, what, 
what triggered in my brain to make me feel like this was an easier way to live life than the, the life that society says we have to live in order to be looked at and called good citizens. I, I think you might have made a somewhat rational decision, actually, like given the situation you were in. You know, yeah. Any, yeah. anyone might have made the choice that you did. So I, I think that policy versus individual empathic um, understanding is a bit of a chicken and egg, right? Because mm. in order to have that level of uh, coaching and support for formerly incarcerated people and incarcerated people, mm. you got to change some ways that we spend money. Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. But I would just love to know, based on all this time that you've spent with um, people who are in that system and their families, which you keep bringing up, and I'm so grateful for you doing that because it is a family issue. It is a uh, community issue. There is community trauma when there are lots of people in your community <laughs> being arrested and incarcerated. What do you see sort of in that from that perspective that you would change if you if you could change things? Or if you would ask people to change things, and is system wise, what would it be? It, the one thing that I would, um, which I do ask, um, shake your own family tree and tell me um, how many people do you have within your family history that have been incarcerated or not been incarcerated, but that the family considered a bad apple at one time or another, but you still accepting them in, within the fold with, with, with love, with understanding. They still were allowed to come to Thanksgiving dinners and Christmas meals, and they were still involved with family reunions. Um, and, and humanize every person instead of looking at someone that commits a crime as a criminal. And then when you lock them up, you only look at them as a number. Mm. Um, and also I would, me, myself, and I um, would like to see more people support those that are formerly incarcerated as we attempt to lead instead of picking us, picking our brains for the information, um, counting it as your own, and uh, you getting all the dollars and monetary gain, and you're not depositing anything back into the communities that you're taking the withdrawals from. Um, I, I would really like to see, because there's a, a group of us, and we're forming again now here in Little Rock uh, since um, I've been um, given the privilege of serving Dream Course Justice in the position of uh, national organizer, which will start May the 27th, my position with them. I'm already organizing men and women that we're getting ready to go out and we're going to take over our communities. Formerly incarcerated people, we're going to show them how to be preventive. You know, I don't want to wait till 
I see a 15 or 16 year old uh, in juvenile, but being charged as an adult before I go in and speak to them. I want to go into the communities and speak to them and let them know, look, let me tell you what happened to me. Mm-hmm. As an adult, let me tell you how it feels to have seven years of your life taken away from you. I did not even know how to operate a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Let me explain what happens behind those walls, what they're showing you on TV, that it is not glory. It is not fun. And we should be the ones leading this fight. But the politicians in the communities should actually be supporting us instead of saying, oh, why don't you guys just forget about all of that and go sit down somewhere? No, I'm not going to forget about seven years of my life that I was taken out of this world and then dump back into it with a $100 check and said, okay, go forward and be great. It sounds like, again, I for me, this is sort of a new idea, so I, I keep coming back to it, that whatever systemic change, like we, we, especially maybe we white people who are very far away from the realities of this, but who think of us ourselves as, you know, liberal and good. Yes. And I, I have the right opinions about things <laughs> and I vote for the right people. So I'm a good person and I am pro criminal justice reform and I can wear the t-shirt and I can put the bumper sticker on and that's great. And it is good. We want people to do those things. Yes. But you are really arguing very <laughs> sincerely and earnestly and with experience that one of the things that has to change hand in hand with any system changing is the way that we who are not affected by that system think of the people in the system, that the system maybe can't change until we have this turn where we, you know, the people who are more like those politicians and whatnot, don't think of the people in the system as the people we have to help but as the people who need to show us what to do in order to make the system better. Exactly. And you just said that you weren't affected. Yes, you are. That's true. And I'm going to tell you why. Because 85% of those people that are incarcerated are coming back into the society of those who have never been incarcerated. So how do you want those people to enter back in? You want them to enter back in bitter or do you want them to enter back in better? And correction does not begin or should not, let me say that, should not begin three years to six months, six months to three years, whichever way they want to do it before you leave prison. Correction and rehabilitation needs to begin the same day that you are incarcerated behind those concrete walls and those steel walls. A social worker, a mental health worker needs to be present. And even before that, right? Yes. 
Well, especially, like I said, because you're not going to get incarcerated until you commit a crime. But once a person commits a crime and they lock them up, somebody needs to be there to find out what happened. Why are you here today? You know, instead, they keep put you in county jail and you could be there anywhere from two days to two years plus doing nothing. Nothing. And and I do mean literally nothing. Mm. You wake up, you eat, you sleep. You wake up, you eat, you sleep. You wake up, you eat, you sleep. There there are uh, some classes, but they're stipulated for certain people. Mm. You know, uh, meditation should be going on. Um, Just ways for people to deal with stress alone. People who, like myself, who have proved that I'm not trying to commit another crime, mm-hmm. should be allowed to come back inside those walls and uplift our brothers and our sisters. Because you can go behind the walls all day long and talk to your blue in the face. They're going to listen to you. They'll probably forget you. Mm-hmm. But Ruby Welch go behind the walls and tells them how I was incarcerated and how... Since I've been out of incarceration in 2006, I don't think it's been great for me because I've been homeless three times. But each time, guess what I did? I started all over. And I said, okay, I didn't do it right the last time. What did I miss? So I know in the beginning, I was missing a little bit of the financial literacy. You know, how do do you budget an $8 an hour job? When you got to pay rent, lights, phone bills, parole officer, or either you're going back to prison, groceries, bus tickets. <laughs> um, how, how, how do you how do you live off of eight thousand an hour? So I had to figure that out. So basically, when you come out of incarceration, you have to put yourself in another prison. Mm-hmm. Um, literally, because you have to lower your standards mm-hmm. of how you would live, where you would live, because society says you're not good enough to live next door to me. And I'm going to tell you, Anne Marie, there are people in prison that I would much better have as a neighbor than some of these people I have met on these streets any day of the year. Because they know that they've done wrong. Mm. They know that they need to be correct. But they also know, we know, we deserve to be loved. We deserve a second chance. We deserve a third chance. These politicians that believe in lock them up and throw away the key shouldn't even be voting them into office. Because as soon as one of your family members is in that position, then you want you're going to want to start fighting about, oh, that law was wrong, but it was okay when it was out there for me. Mm. So, 
yeah, that's how I feel about um, <laughs> <laughs> this system of people. It, it grieves me. Uh, and even people that say that they're fighting for us. One thing that I've learned, everybody standing with me is not standing for me. Mm. And I've had to um, suffer at the hands of so many people that I trusted. Because you are, uh, after coming out of incarceration, you you are a little green. Mm. Um, because the world kept moving. You know, while we were incarcerated, the world kept moving. Um, and so we were like kind of at a standstill. So I was thinking, you know, and I, I've always been the type of person that, oh, if people say that, you know, they're good, they're good. And if they say this is what they're going to do. This is what they're going to do. And um, I literally got pimped so hard with just people having me in all these different spaces and speaking and doing all of this until, like I sent it to the National Council. and. Um, cut 50, you know, pulled me by my shirt tail and said, no, you know, they should be, they should be helping you do something. If, if just giving you a hundred dollars, $50, you know, for taking time out of your life. So, cause how are you eating and how are you traveling to these places? On my own money. Yeah. Because we don't know any better. And so people use us in order to make their platforms look better. Like, look at me. You know, I got all these formerly incarcerated people around me. I'm, I'm doing such a good work. But you're not telling them that we're starving. Hmm. That we're, we're being evicted. That we don't own cars. We catch a bus. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a bigger picture that no one gets a chance to see but I'm the one that's going to tell the story and I'm going to tell it the way that it should be told, which is honestly and truthfully. Yeah. I, I do have a lot of people that I can count who have, who have helped me along the way because they have a heart. Um, uh, like the sister that's here with me today. I mean, I was like, I don't went and bought this light ring and I don't know what to do with it. And that I need your help. And you know, she was like, I'm on my way. Hang on through this last bit of information from our delightful sponsors. With Friends Like These is brought to you by BetterHelp. What interferes with your happiness? Me? I am a creature of habit. I rely on habits to keep me sane. And, you know, when things are changing, I get squirrely. And lots of things are changing. So I talked to my therapist about it. If you want a therapist, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment, making it incredibly convenient. And you can begin communicating in under 24 hours. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling. Send a message to your counselor and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free of charge to change counselors if needed. The service is available for clients worldwide, and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, though financial aid is available. You can find counselors with specialties that may not be locally available, including depression, anger, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, and trauma. Anything you share is confidential. 
You can check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp, they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And as a listener to this podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash friends. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash friends. With Friends Like These is brought to you by HelloFresh. Try HelloFresh's quick and easy meals, 15 to 20 minute dinners, breakfast on the go, and more easy options perfect for your busy lifestyle. Enjoy a wide variety of easy, delicious options for all three meals a day, plus snacks and special treats in between from the HelloFresh market. HelloFresh's high quality, fresh ingredients are sourced directly from growers and delivered from the farm to your front door in under a week, contact free, of course. I have tried almost every meal service out there. And HelloFresh is by far the quickest and easiest, but not boring. You can have Thai or Mexican or Indian in the same amount of time it would take to decide where to order from. Go to HelloFresh.com slash WithFriends14 and use code WithFriends14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash WithFriends14 and use with friends 14 for up to 14 free meals plus shipping. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. I think the thing I want to ask you is, um, I have two things. The first one is, so we have had this discussion about criminal justice reform and, and law enforcement reform come to the surface in this very um, impossible to ignore way this past year. Yes. And I wonder how that affects your work. I wonder what the impact of that discussion has been on your work. Um and 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 that's part that that's the that's the that's the B part of how why we get used when we come out of incarceration because we don't want to do anything wrong, anything wrong. Mm-hmm. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and you know you're we're walking on eggshells because the least little thing can send you back to prison. Uh, even somebody lying on you um, can get you sent back to prison. So we walk on eggshells until you're you're all the way off paper. And um, even with the police officers, um, you know, by me being able to go into the county jail and uh, work with the sheriff here and some of the deputies, um, I've been able to allow them to see that, yeah, I'm formerly incarcerated, but they see, but Ruby's really okay. And, you know, and, and I've had people say, sometimes I forget that you were incarcerated until you speak about it. Mm. Well, that's good because that's how I want you to see everyone across the board. Because when people say to me, it don't look like you've been incarcerated. Well, what does a former incarcerated person look like? Because there are millions, millions. And I believe that once, if, if, the, if our law enforcement really wanted to uh, correct some things, which they don't, they don't want to correct a whole bunch of things, because just think, if prisons shut down and no one needed jails and things of this nature to the uh, capacity that we have them right now, uh, there'd be a lot of jobs lost. So we only want to, they only want to correct to a certain percentage. Let's, let's just keep it real. 
So if you start listening to the people who were, who used to be criminal minded and who committed crimes, and we start speaking with the law officers and saying, look, if you treat us like this, when you come into our communities, if you, if you talk to the young men or young women on, on the street corners that are selling drugs and tell them that there's a better life, and even though you're a law, law officer, that you, know, you want to help them live a better life, and, and you guys start taking some of your money that uh, you're, you're buying all this ammo and all this <laughs> other ridiculous stuff with and start setting up programs, and, 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 and children and teenagers are able to see the law enforcement officers in a different light of actually being people of the community willing to help them to accelerate in life instead of somebody that's keeping their foot on their neck. We'd have better communities. But until we can get to that point, we're going to have this battle. Now, some people might point out what the situation you've described, what you mm-hmm. might want to do is there's this word defund the law enforcement and instead put that money towards the kind of activities and advocacy that you're talking about. So that discussion is happening right now. Is that something that you do think? Yes. You're not in your head. (laughs) Yeah. I don't don't want to take all the money from the police officers. Now, mind you, I I know they need money, but I I, I don't believe that you need as much as you say you need. Mm Mm-hmm. I believe that um, a lot of the training courses that undoubtedly aren't working for you all because you still are unable to uh, know how to deal with the community, that maybe you should set up some programs where you can actually speak with the community and the community can tell you how it's best Mm -hmm. to deal with them. Because, I mean, that's just, that's what I do. I tell people how to deal with former incarcerated people. Well, first you treat them like humans. Mm-hmm. You treat them with you treat them just like you want to be treated. You don't treat them like they're formerly incarcerated. But a lot of people, um, yeah. You have such hope and spirit within you. You work in an area that forces you to deal with incredibly dark things. So where? Where do you find your inspiration and hope and spirit? Hmm. When I come back to my sanctuary, my home, um, 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 that's when um, I'm able to just cry it out. Um, and renew myself. And I do sometimes have to take a break from everything because it's, it's mentally draining. But I believe that our universe was created for harmony. It, it wasn't created for us to be fighting <coughs> against each other on a daily basis, whether whether black, white, green, pink, purple, whether incarcerated, not incarcerated, whether a politician, not a politician, whether a Christian or atheist, I believe because I'm one of those people, I don't care about any of those things. I don't, I don't, I don't care about uh, 
It's not about I don't care about uh, uh, sexual orientation. I don't care about any of that. I care about humans. And I accept people right where they are. And it's going to take um, people in the world pulling on, like we I said in the beginning, whatever your higher power is. And believing that your higher power is to create harmony and peace. Because I, I, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I'm unapologetically a believer. I'm a woman of God. And, and, I, and I, I, I love it. And I thank God for God. And a lot of people ought to thank God for God because uh, I used to be a booger bear. <laughs> and I know this. Um, but now the things that used to upset me, if I can't do anything about them, I don't worry about them. But the things that I can change are not only the policies, but also the mindsets and the ways that people look and think about formerly incarcerated and incarcerated people. Because I'm going to be the person in their face saying, well, look at me. What do you think about me today? Let's not think about 1996 or 1999 when you incarcerated me. What do you think about me today? And let's go from today forward. Thank you for coming on the show. And thank you for coming into my life. Well, what I do want to say, what I always try to say is, you know, once, once I was behind concrete walls, prison bars, but today I sit before you and I set my own bars. And no walls can contain me. And I'm just so thankful for that. And I thank you, Miss Anna Marie, for having me. Um, I hope it makes a difference in what I've said. Someone has really listened to what I'm saying and what I do want to put into the universe before I leave is that if we all focus on giving to the world, the best that we have, the best will come back to us. Thank you, Miss Anna Marie. I appreciate you so much. And that was Ruby Welch of Felon, formerly incarcerated empowered leaders overcoming negative stigmas. On this week's adorable segment, you'll hear from one of the people that helps keep Crooked running, our summer news intern, Mari Cardenas, and learn about their grumpy-faced but very sweet cat, Sora. Mari, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You know, any chance to show my cat. And I see him. He doesn't look particularly happy to be here, but he's he's putting up, he's tolerating the holding. Why don't you tell us his name and for our podcast family, describe him. So it's my cat uh, for the podcast listeners. Um, his name is Sora after Kingdom Hearts. What he looks like, he is very long, very fat. He is white. I think he's a tabby. He's like a medium hair. Um, I'm getting very specific here. (laughs) He has gray. He has a little black. He has a little brown. So he's like a, a gray tabby with white markings. Yes, white markings. And 
He has these cute little dots on his bottom paws. Um, yeah, he's diabetic. So we give him insulin shots uh, two times a day, uh, two milliliters, if anyone's curious. And he's about, I think, eight years old. We found him in a bush. So, yeah. So he's a tough guy. Yeah, he's a tough guy. Um, he's also from California. So he's he moves around quite a bit. And is there a story behind his name? It's just kind of after like Kingdom Hearts, which is just like this video game. Um, but it also is Japanese for Sky. What is the biggest way you spoil him? The biggest way? Um, I mean, you do a lot for him. Sometimes I ask that question as what's the most you go out of your way for your adorable? But the insulin thing is that's... That's what I'm saying. Like he's like... Oh, that's high maintenance. That's what I'm know? saying. Like, he's yeah. a hella expensive cat because like... Honestly, like, I feel like that's the most expensive, like, going to vets and stuff, because he has to get a lot of glucose curves. So, like, basically, like, you have to spend, like, a lot of money, like, 800 1000 So then, like, you can make sure that, like, his insulin levels are all good. Yar. So I feel like that's the biggest. Or, like, sometimes we have, like, salmon. So, like, we'll, like, make, like, poke, um, which is just, like, the little, like, Hawaiian bowl that you basically, like, cut up, like, salmon or, like, tuna, and, like, you put, like, rice. And like avocado, all that stuff. So like sometimes when we have leftovers, we put it on the floor and he'll eat it. He'll be very happy. He, I just think it's it's so funny watching him because his the expression on his face is one of barely tolerating. But he's clearly also digging it. Yeah, no, it's crazy because like I feel like he's such a tolerable cat because I'll literally just like hold him up like like with my hands like straight up and he'll just be like flying in the sky or like the air basically and he will not move like anyone can hold him anyone can like touch him and he just doesn't care like he's like he just happens to have like resting fuck off face yes genuinely yeah probably on the streets that really served him not for real and it's like you know what hey like just like his mother you know we just have that catitude and I'm not mad (laughs) so the last question is is a little bit of a combo. First, I'd like you to think about what cause he might support, like political cause of some kind, perhaps. We are part of the Crooked Media Network. And also, if there's a voice that you do of him, you you could say the cause that he supports in his voice. You can separate those two or just give us the cause. But of course, we like to hear from the adorable. This is true. Um, I mean, he is in a Latino household. So I feel like he wants to abolish ICE. Um, That's his number one thing. He's very, he's very against that. And so he works very hard uh, night and day for this cause. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Do you have a voice for him? I feel like his voice. I don't even know. Let me look at this MF. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Maybe you'll discover his voice. True. Maybe I'll find it deep in his heart because he looks hella miserable right now, bro. He literally looks like maybe his voice is like, let me go. Like, <laughs> See, I just think it's the, the resting fuck off face. I think that he's clearly like, if because a cat is going to, you're going to find out how the cat feels by their actions, right? And he's just like, he's just laying, he's just not even, he's boneless in your arms. So I think whatever his expression is, he loves it. He loves cuddling with you. But yeah, we'll find out his voice. I will return back. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks to both of you. (laughs) Thank you. 
Thanks to Ruby Welch and Tamari and Sora for their time. This show is a production of Crooked Media. Alison Herrera produces the show with assistance from Jordan Waller. Izzy Margulies books our guest. Louis Lino engineered this episode. Please consider taking the survey you've probably heard about on all the other Crooked podcasts at crooked.com slash survey. As we're all trying to figure out how to return to a normal that's better than normal, you can help us figure out how to better serve you. Complete it and you will get a coupon for 20% off anything in the Crooked Merch store, including our official, with friends like these t-shirt, a cool retro ringer. With the reminder too, take care of yourselves. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.